One basic fact of scripture study, which you will all be aware of and which we are, of course, reminded of in college, is the importance of context. Context really is critical, and if you pay no attention to context when you read the Bible and take a verse here and there, you inevitably will be misguided in your understanding. The story of Mephibosheth is one that when you come to 2 Samuel 9 and read these verses 1 to 7, you can't possibly understand well without taking time to think of the context. And although we can't take that time tonight to read all the relevant passages, I will do my best to relate that context to you briefly. It begins with the ancient nation of Israel anointing their first king, the man called Saul, approximately 1000 BC, roughly 3000 years from now. At first, Saul ruled well. He was obedient to God, but soon he began to behave in a headstrong and a rash way, and soon he lost the favor of God. By that time, the Bible has introduced us to another character, a young man called David who burst onto the national scene of Israel as just a young man, just a youth, when he came with his sling and stones and single-handedly defeated the giant called Goliath, who was terrorizing the army of his nation. And it was at that time that David met Jonathan, the son of King Saul. David and Jonathan became inseparable friends. Initially, King Saul loved David appreciated him and was so thankful for what he had done for their nation and for God. But then as he realized that David was more popular than he was and had a better character than he did, he realized that David was in effect a political rival. And so Saul grew jealous and then angry and then violent and actually, as you know, lifted his hand with a weapon and threw it at David on one occasion. And so there began a long feud between the house of Saul and the house of David. And this is the important detail in the context of 2 Samuel chapter 9. One day, sadly, Saul and his son Jonathan both were killed in battle with the Philistines. David grieved for Jonathan, who was his dearest friend. But the death of Jonathan and his father meant that in the nation of Israel, the balance of power very much swung from the house of Saul to being in the house of David. 2 Samuel 3 verse 1 tells us there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. There was an intense rivalry and it didn't settle overnight because Saul had another son who resisted David and tried to rule Israel himself. But eventually David was able to capture the stronghold of Jerusalem. And base himself there as king over the entire nation, unified under his rule. And after that, David's house simply got stronger, as 2 Samuel 5 and verse 10 tells us. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. You can imagine now, as the years have continued, and Saul's house has lost their influence, lost their power, and their income, they have grown very poor. And it's now that we come to 2 Samuel in chapter 9. Because Saul had a grandson, the man that we read of called Mephibosheth. A few chapters earlier, we're told that when the news of Saul and Jonathan being killed by the Philistines reached the royal palace, Mephibosheth's nurse realized that they had to run for their lives. And so she picked the little boy up, just five years old, and ran. And while she ran, she dropped the child. Mephibosheth's injuries would last for years. He was lame on both his feet. And now we find him in 2 Samuel 9, living in a place called Lodabar, 
which means no pasture. In such an era, a place with no pasture would have been no good for raising livestock. And in a time when most people kept at least a few animals in order just to simply get by, that was a big problem. There would have not been much wealth in the area called Lodabar. You might describe it in modern parlance as the back end of nowhere. It was barren. It wasn't a sought-after place. It was a place of poverty and hunger. But this is where Mephibosheth lived. Think of what he once enjoyed just as a child, not even realizing the wealth, the opportunity, and the privileges that he had. And look at where he is now. He's in a place where there's no pasture. He's cast out of the court. He's cut off from the king. And he is in great need of food. You and I could reasonably assume that Mephibosheth was in this place called Lodabar, which was on the other side of the river Jordan from Jerusalem, far away from David, because he knew that whenever one powerful person overthrew another, another, often the family members of the deposed king would have been killed as well. They were not welcome. There was animosity. There was hostility. And so perhaps that's why we find Mephibosheth so far away from Jerusalem. We need to remember, of course, as we come to the story of Mephibosheth and David now, that behind this account, there is a much greater story, a much greater truth, a message brought to us. And that is the entire message of the Bible. The Bible is a book of truth that shows us how we can be saved from our sin. The message of the Bible is the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. And we will this evening, by God's help, understand this message of salvation through the story of Mephibosheth. Let's read verse 1 again, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The first thing I want to bring to your attention this evening concerning the message of salvation, as we see it in the story of David and Mephibosheth, is this. David took the initiative. It's David who speaks and says, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? Whatever number of years had passed since Mephibosheth and his nurse ran out of the palace, all the business, all the wars, the conducting of kingly affairs that David had had to do between then and now, suddenly, perhaps, he remembers. Is there anyone left? He takes the initiative. We've already mentioned that it might have been wise, in fact it was wise, for Mephibosheth to stay over there in Lodabar, away from the court of his, his, his grandfather's enemy. If he had shown up, he could have been executed. At best, surely he would have been banished. And so he was just as well to stay over in Lodabar. There was no way back for Mephibosheth to David's court. And the fact that Mephibosheth did not seek out David reminds you and I what the Bible teaches us about the relationship between sinners and God. We learn in the Bible that the, the sinner is separated from God and does not seek him. Romans 3 verse 11, there is none that seeketh after God. In fact, we can go further because the Bible tells us that the sinner is at war with God. There is open hostility just as there was between Mephibosheth's grandfather and King David. Romans 8 verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. This was the heritage that Mephibosheth 
had been born with a heritage of enmity between him and the king. And sinners are born into this world with this natural enmity of warfare between themselves and the one true and living God. This sinfulness, men and women and young people, that we were born with means that our natural desire is to keep God out of our thoughts. It is not to seek him. Rather, it is to reject his rightful place as sovereign and as king of kings and lord of lords. Instead of trusting in God, instead of worshipping him and loving him, we try to suppress our conscience. You, sinner, will try to suppress the conscience, which is the law of God written on your heart. You will create your own idols, probably not a figurine, probably something in your heart, perhaps a possession, a person, some aspiration, but you will worship other things because you want to forget God. You would never desire a personal relationship with him on your own. Because that's who you are. But we're shown in the fact that David took the initiative. What Jesus Christ came to this earth to do. The son of man. Luke 19 verse 10. Is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus Christ came to this earth. On his own initiative. The initiative of the plan of salvation. God's plan to save a people for himself. As the hymn tells us. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I and every other Christian in this meeting tonight can say that we are found because God took the initiative. We didn't seek him first. He came seeking us. And I want to ask you this evening, have you been found by God? Have you been found? It's a very simple question. But if you can't answer with a resounding yes, then you have a serious problem. Because that would tell me that you could spiritually still be like Mephibosheth, estranged, cut off, with no relationship with God. Perhaps you'd say, I'm not sure if I've been found by God. I can't honestly tell you if I am definitely saved. Well, let me encourage you tonight, if there is in your heart a desire to seek after God, that is evidence of God calling and God working. When a sinner seeks forgiveness, it is a sign that God has taken the initiative, that God is calling them, that he is drawing them to himself. This story is all about what David did for Mephibosheth. David took the initiative. Before we move on, perhaps we would ask the question, why? Why would David bother. He didn't owe Mephibosheth anything. Mephibosheth was no friend of his. He belonged to a rival family who had been at war against David since the sin of King Saul. David had nothing to gain by helping Mephibosheth. So why? Why did he ignore the guilt of Mephibosheth's family? So we ask this question, why does God save sinners? We find the answer In verse 1 as well. Read with me the second half of the verse. 2 Samuel 9 and verse 1. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. We've already mentioned how strong the friendship between David and Jonathan was. And one of the passages where we see those friends together is in 1 Samuel 20. I think we should read those verses together. Please turn with me to 1 Samuel in chapter 20. We see David and Jonathan speaking together. And in verse 15 and 16, we read about a covenant, 
an agreement being made between these two young men. Jonathan speaks in verse 15 of 1 Samuel 20 and says, But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. There's an agreement here made between Jonathan and David, which they both were bound by, which David then was bound by to be kind to the house of Saul, now that he is in power, and now that, as God had granted Jonathan foresight to see, David's enemies were all cut off and he was in charge. David was bound to keep his promise to show mercy to the house of Saul. And so it is, men and women, when God seeks and saves sinners. It's not done on a whim. It is done because of a covenant. We're taught in the scripture that God the Father entered into an agreement with God the Son to save sinners before the foundation of the world. And we see proof of this because when Jesus Christ was here on earth in his own ministry, in his prayer in John 17, verse 24, he said these words, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. He's praying, Christian, for you. He's praying for all those who are not yet saved but will be brought into his kingdom. Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 32, exactly why. God save sinners. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We learn that God takes the initiative and seeks sinners for Christ's sake. Just as David was prompted to seek Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake because of the covenant between them, so God is prompted to save sinners for Christ's sake because he has agreed to do so. David's relationship with Jonathan was so special That he was bound to fulfill this covenant. And God is in covenant with his dear, only begotten, well-beloved son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who has done everything that the covenant requires. Who has kept his end of the bargain. Who has kept God's law perfectly. Who rendered a perfect obedience. In keeping the law of God and in offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy God's justice which called for the punishment of sin. And it's because of who Jesus is and what he has done that God must save all who trust in him. He must. This is why God took the initiative. This is why God saves those who trust in Christ because he has agreed and covenanted to do so. Doesn't that give you confidence, Christian, in your salvation? Doesn't it make you sure that you are secure when you hear of the basis of your salvation? David was not acting on a whim, but because of a covenant. Salvation is not a random draw. Salvation is based on an eternal covenant between the divine persons. And that covenant will be fulfilled. We've answered the question why and now I want to answer the question how. We notice thirdly that in 2 Samuel 9, David sent and fetched Mephibosheth. Notice the activity that's involved here in verse 5. It says, Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. 
And when I read that David sent for Mephibosheth, I'm reminded that God sends for sinners. Mephibosheth was a cripple. He had no means to make it from Lodabar to Jerusalem to the royal court. He couldn't possibly make the journey, couldn't bring himself, and had no one who could do it for him. He needed the ability to come. And in salvation, God the Holy Spirit is the one who works in sinners to give them the ability to come, and that is called faith. And that's why we read that David sent and fetched Mephibosheth. This poor cripple who was unable to walk and unable to make the journey was given the means to come to the king. And that means, as I've said, for a sinner to come to God is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. Whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Sinner, this evening, God is the one who gives you the ability to come to him. Seek him. Call upon him. Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that tells me that in order to be saved, all that you have to do is to come when you are called. To repent and believe the gospel. And it's all the same, as I recently heard a preacher explain, it's all the same motion. To turn from your sin and turn to Christ is repentance and faith acting together. Come to Christ. Come when you're called. God gives you the means to come. Just as David sent for Mephibosheth. Whoever he sent to go and get him. And however he brought Mephibosheth to him. The lesson is clear. Mephibosheth couldn't have come on his own. He was given the means to come. Fourthly and finally I want to look at the result of this faith that Mephibosheth, that the sinner is given to come to Christ, and the result of David's sending for Mephibosheth and fetching him to his royal court. A wonderful ending to the story. Look with me in verse 6. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. I don't know if you've ever parted with a dear friend or if you've ever had to go away and leave someone and not seen them for years. Just imagine what that feels like and then think of what this meeting would have been like. When David sees the young man Mephibosheth who no doubt in some way had to resemble his father Jonathan and he sees this cripple, this poor destitute young man brought into his palace can you not imagine the emotion that would have been in David's voice when he just says Mephibosheth how meaningful it was to him Mephibosheth had been sent for by the king and that news made him humble because we're told he fell on his face and did reverence It's not a stretch to imagine that at times perhaps Mephibosheth's heart, though he was very low socially, financially, in every way, perhaps at times in his heart there was bitterness against David, the one who was perhaps in the mind of Mephibosheth his oppressor. Sinners don't understand the true balance of things. Sinners sometimes rail against God and think that God is hard on them. They don't realize that they deserve his wrath. That he is rather very gracious to them. 
giving them time and opportunity. And here Mephibosheth has realized how gracious David has been to him. And he falls on his face and did reverence. He worships David as his king. He's humble. He's on his face willing to serve David. And this is what happens when God saves sinners. They're made willing. They come willingly. And beyond that, they they do so gladly. They're lost. You and I, when we were saved and we had that joy of salvation, it was full of wonder that God would do such a thing for us. His enemies, poverty-stricken, hopeless, and he just plucked us and brought us into his court. Mephibosheth came and Mephibosheth was made rich. Verse 7, And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. The reason that the king calls a poor sinner into his court here is to show him kindness. And David is using all his resources and all his riches as the king of Israel to extend as much mercy to Mephibosheth as he possibly could. There's nothing held back from this young man. He's brought him into his courts and he is blessed beyond his wildest imagination. Mephibosheth never could have dreamed of such a thing happening to him. Sinner, you have yet to understand even a little of the riches that are available to you in Christ Jesus because you haven't had the joy of walking with him. You haven't known the peace that passes all understanding. And that literally is all understanding. The smartest, most educated people in the world who are outside of Christ don't understand. They don't know that peace. These are just some of the riches, the restored riches as we see it in the story of Mephibosheth because he's told by David, I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. All that Mephibosheth stood in line to inherit but lost because of sin David gives it back to him. The gospel parallel is so clear. God one day, having brought us into Jesus Christ and being in union with him fully, inseparably, and being perfectly accepted, we are bound for an eternal eternal inheritance, which is reserved in heaven for us. We will praise God for all of eternity. We will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. We will enjoy the presence of our Savior. Indescribable riches will be ours. All by the grace of God. Restored riches. In the garden, Adam walked with God. He enjoyed an unbroken communion with his Creator. And that wonderful relationship was destroyed by sin. And now through the gospel, that relationship is restored by grace. A sinner in total poverty, perhaps like you tonight, perhaps the Holy Spirit, I trust, is speaking to you and showing you that you're like Mephibosheth spiritually because you have nothing. You have no way to be in fellowship with God. Rather, you risk his punishment. You are heading towards his punishment. To be more clear, it's only through the riches of God's grace That you can be delivered from your sin. That you can have restored to you all the riches, all the fellowship that was lost by sin. And when I read at the end of verse 7, Thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. I'm reminded 
as Paul preached about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Continually, it just goes on and on and on. And there's eternity with our Savior. With him. Continually. Jesus Christ said in John 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. There's no limit to what we have in the Lord Jesus. He is an unlimited person. He is God. Eternal, infinite, unchangeable. He is perfection. He is light. He is love and righteousness and goodness. And why, sinner, would you remain in your sin? Fickle and disappointing. And just for a few short years, when you could be with Christ for all of eternity, when you could say, having been brought to him, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I trust the Lord will speak to you this evening and show you your poverty, your need, your sinfulness, and show you that Christ stands ready to save you, willing and fully able to save to the uttermost all those that come to God by him. May God bless his word.